0: When carpenter, woodworker, and author Spike Carlson and his wife set out, along with their recently blended family of five kids, to build a cabin on the north shore of Lake Superior, they quickly realized that painting, parenting, and putting up drywall all come with a lot of frustrations and some unexpected rewards. That's the part we really want to focus on. Part a building guide, part memoir, Cabin Lessons tells the rightfully funny, heartwarming story of their eventual journey from buying an unforgiving plot of land on an eroding cliff to finally enjoying the lakeside hideaway of their dreams. I've been a fan of his work for quite some time and making his second visit to the Home Discovery Show, we're joined on the phone by Spike Carlson in Stillwater, Minnesota in the Twin Cities area. Glad that you were able to join us this morning. Thanks for having me, Ian. So uh, the Twin Cities, uh, we were talking just a second off air about uh, you being not close to Wisconsin, but closer to the cool people like where Prince used to live. (laughs)
1: That's right. You know, there's great rivalry in terms of football and, and everything else between Minnesota and Wisconsin. But I, I'm standing here looking over the river at Wisconsin right now. So uh, it's, all, it's all good natured.
0: Well, then it begs the question, what would possess a man to want to build on what is, by all accounts, uh, an undesirable, albeit a lakeside lot?
1: Yeah, well, Kat and I, like you mentioned, uh, blended a family, and whenever we had a chance to kind of get away on our own, we went up to Lake Superior, and eventually we thought, you know, wouldn't it be great to have a, a place up here? But, you know, land was so expensive, we wound up buying just kind of, you know, kind of an eroding, you know, troublesome child of a, of a piece of land. Um and then we you know you know we tried to raise that piece of land well just like you try to raise a kid well <laughs> and uh it's turned out
0: great but you knew it going into it or or did you only discover afterwards after the fact that perhaps this land <laughs> might have not been the best choice at the time <laughs>
1: Well, I was, you know, I was in construction for 15 years, so I wasn't, you know, like a like a babe in the woods with this whole thing. But, you know, they're just unexpected things. Like, you know, the cabin sits on the shores of Lake Superior where there's three quadrillion gallons of water. Yet when you drill a well there, you hit salt water. Oh boy! And and then you know when you put in your septic field, you wind up with uh, unforgiving soil, and and uh, and so those were things that you just you know you just can't plan out ahead of time, but you deal with them, and and uh, and you get a cabin in
0: the end. So what were some of the other challenges? Uh, these are good examples uh, that you had to face uh, to overcome to make this dream really come true.
1: One thing we wanted to do right from the start was to uh, build this as a family. Uh, We were blending our family of four teenagers and a nine-year-old at that time. And, uh, you know, there's just something nice about... You know, working side by side with a kid, you know, a lot of different conversations come up and, and evolve and things you might not otherwise, otherwise talk about. And now we kind of have this uh, great shared uh, experience of having built a cabin together, uh, of working together. The, you know, they earned their cabin rights. And, um, <laughs> Uh, by doing this, and I guess the other challenging part was Kat and I uh, did probably 90 percent of the work, uh, just as a you know as a as a couple when the kids weren't there, right. and um, you know so that was you know a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of head scratching. How we're going to lift that you know 300 pound wall with with uh, two people?
0: Yeah, you know, I, you know what really resonated for me in your comment there was uh, that time that you got to spend with your newly blended family, and and that is just something you can't replace uh, that we don't get that many opportunities to spend that kind of time where you're working on a project and you may not even be talking about the project at hand you might be off on all kinds of different conversations
1: exactly exactly and you know there's another great thing can be said about at the end of the day when you turn around you don't just see a uh a closed computer, a shorter stack of papers, you get to see something that, you know, that you built together. And uh, so that was just another great, uh, great side benefit. And, you know, now all five of these kids are homeowners and they at least have, you know, minimal skills on how to deal with stuff uh, problems as they come
0: up. We're talking to Spike Carlson. He's the author of Cabin Lessons, which is a great book. Uh, Highly recommend you pick it up and and read it. We'll tell you where you can get it in a few minutes. Was there ever a time, Spike, when you thought that maybe this was just simply too much for whatever else you had going on at the time and that you'd never, ever see the end of it?
1: Well, I had a close, very close encounter with a with a falling wall. Uh Uh, But no, we, you know, we, you know, one of the things about a cabin is it should be a place where you go and relax. And we tried to keep that attitude as we were building. And so we weren't, you know, frantically scrambling to get things done. Um, You know, we didn't have, you know, unrealistic timetables. So we were really able to take our time, uh, do things right. And, you know, another great thing was we did most of the design work ourselves, and that allowed us to include some really cool stuff as we went along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, wouldn't that stained glass window in the antique store look good? And, you know, wouldn't those old salvage beams look good? Uh, so that was another great benefit of, of designing and building ourselves.
0: Well, you're so articulate and uh, obviously very talented with your hands. Uh, a lot of us dream about owning a cabin. I think we all grow up with the thought that there's a certain ro- romanticism about it. Um, some of us even want to go as far as you did and to build it with our own hands. Is, is there a takeaway that might save someone unsuspecting like me time money and perhaps most importantly grief
1: well i I think the main thing is to remain incredibly stupid because (laughs) because if you knew everything that was going to happen ahead of time you'd probably shy away from it but but uh you know ignorance is bliss and uh you know it's just uh it's just like Cooking, you know you you start out with something small and you you know, you build your skill levels and then you tackle the next thing and um, i I just think it's you know we have a keepsake in our family for you know hopefully generations to come, and it's worth the struggles you
0: run into absolutely, as I mentioned, I really do enjoy your work you 're a terrific writer it's clear that you enjoy everything that you do from the design to the drywall, and your book, Cabin Lessons. Well, it's a great guide, it's also very, very personal, and, and in many ways, I think, very relatable for a lot of people.
1: This thing started out as a construction manual, and then I realized while we were building and while I was taking notes, it was like, well, I'm doing more than building here. I'm, you know, blending a family and, you know, forming a relationship and meeting people, and so it, uh, I kept, you know, inserting these more personal notes, And then at one point, it kind of flip-flopped, and, you know, it became a memoir. (laughs) So it uh, kind of, uh, you know, included uh, a lot of construction details. I tried to put it in a nice, friendly tone, Uh, you know, try to explain how things go together so those who are looking for some nuts and bolts can find it. But also, a lot of people have said in terms of, uh, you know, blending a family, that it was a, a pretty honest account, uh, and that they appreciated uh, the forthrightness of my wife and my family to put some of that stuff in there.
0: Absolutely. And now that uh, the cabin is built and you, you all get a chance to enjoy the fruits of your labor, uh, what's next? Any other uh, grand undertakings?
1: Well, we live in a 160-year-old house, and by Minnesota standards, that's that's old. So that's uh you know, that's a perpetual, uh, <laughs> perpetual project. And the cabin we built was very small, about 600 square feet. And now that we have, uh, uh, you know, son-in-laws and, and many grandkids, we're, you know, you, we just can't all pack in there anymore. Right. So now we're kind of looking at um, maybe a, a little writer's cabin or an addition to this cabin to, to accommodate the overflow.
0: I can see you sitting there in front of your computer with a big, huge picture window overlooking the, the scenery and, and producing your next book. Uh, well, we don't have a lot of uh, time left in the segment, unfortunately, but I did want to ask you about another one of your books, and I'll tell you why, and I haven't read it, and I'm going to tell you that straight up. A Splintered History of Wood, Belt Sander Races, Blind Woodworkers, and Baseball Bats, and frankly, what, what caught my attention was the Belt Sander Races. A buddy of mine, Fred Tutt who's also in the business was really big on the belt sander races locally at the Steveston Salmon Festival for years sadly uh, they no longer do it but uh, this is um, a <laughs> this, this is just not for not for the faint of heart and not frankly spike it's not for normal people
1: <laughs> well you know one of the beauties of, of of doing a book like that it contains 55 little vignettes about you know fascinating woods and workers was that you could kind of pick and choose things you've always wanted to do so i entered a belt sander race um in wisconsin there was both a stock and a modified class and i went with the stock uh stock class and you are speaking with the runner-up to the world championship belt sander races uh, of, of several years ago. I'm so, not worthy. You know, I take great pride in that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's so much fun. I, I got a chance to see the belt sander races, and, it, and honestly, it sounds like a bizarre concept, but it, if people are out there having belt sander races and having the time of their life, why not? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we need to have, a, um, have you come back uh, to talk about another book. that, And I know that you've got several books, and, and you're a prolific writer, as I mentioned, and editor. Uh, the Backyard Homestead Book of Building Projects. I like this because I think uh, you've got 76 useful things you can build to create customized working spaces and storage facilities. We're spending more of our time and money outdoors. And I think that this book is something we'll, that, that addresses that quite handily.
1: Yeah, you know, more and more people, even in the you know, big city. They're raising chickens. They're raising bees. You know, they're 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 growing a lot of their own food. And so this book, you know, kind of addresses those people that they don't have a bunch of acres. Maybe they just have a, a city lot, and there's still lots of things you can do to, uh, you know, work towards self sufficiency uh, with just a little space and a little money. So that's what this uh, what this book addresses.
0: Your website
1: spikecarlson com.
0: Pretty easy spikecarlson dot com. Uh, also, these books are available online through Amazon and elsewhere? Yeah,
1: you know, wherever good uh, good books are sold. And uh, I'm a weird Carlson because I'm a C-A-R-L-S-E-N. That's right. And so uh, <laughs> if people are looking, that's where they should go.
0: I'm guessing Spike is not your given name.
1: I I, I will not reveal... What my true name is.
0: We're going to get you back, and we're going we're going to sit you down in a chair, and we're not going to let you go until, until you tell all. Hey, listen, will you come you gotta, back? Some, will you come you back sometime?
1: It, Spike has a better ring to it than Greg.
0: Absolutely. When you're selling books, it sure does. Yeah. Can we get you yeah. to come back? Absolutely. I'd love to do that. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. Spike Carlson, author, carpenter, woodworker. It's Spike Carlson, C-A-R-L-S-E-N. Look it up online and buy at least one of his books. And uh, his latest is called Cabin Lessons. Thank you, Ian. And we'll be right back on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power back with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, and our thanks once again to Spike Carlson. Uh, He's just so much fun. I I really like him. Got a lot of time for him. Uh, Good writer and uh, pretty handy, too, with the tools. Imagine uh, blending your family, five kids, and building a place on top of it. Uh, it's uh, it, building uh, renovations, uh, all of these things uh, draw out the emotions in people, not always their best emotions. Uh, and I know that you come up uh, upon this all the time because you go into people's houses, and, and let's be honest, what you do, well, what your business does and your, your crews do is probably among some of the most invasive, most disruptive kind of thing that you can do in somebody's house.
2: Absolutely, and, that, and that's the right word, invasive. We're, we're coming in with our experience, and and, um, there's a a level of comfort, experience, and cavalier uh, attitude, possibly. And this is someone's house. This is where they live.
0: I think a lot of contractors, a lot of trades people, and and I have a lot of time, obviously, for contractors and those that are in the trades, people that have skills that I could only, only in my wildest dreams hope for. But sometimes, (laughs) and, and it's in all walks of life, forget that what they do has an impact on the people they're doing it for. So even though you're coming into somebody's house and you're making things all pretty and new, you're in the meantime disrupting their way of life. Uh, People, were, we're all creatures of habit, and if you're doing something in my kitchen and you take away my opportunity to have my coffee and toast in the morning, you're upsetting my routine, which is going to upset me, which is going to upset you, and so it goes. How do you, as a contractor, uh, mitigate that? What do you do to sort of keep things on an even keel?
2: It's a lot of communication at the onset and and mostly, particularly for kitchens, it is, do you have another place to go? We've had to chase people to um, basements uh, to use the laundry tub to wash the dishes. Some people have to wash their dishes in the bathtub. Uh, it, it's harder as for, well for a bathroom. If there's only one bathroom, you brush your teeth in the kitchen sink, but where do you use your facilities? To shower or chase people to the rec center or something like that. So try to time those sort of inconvenient renovations amongst holidays or when there's another place to stay. Sometimes it's, uh, it's camping season.
0: Yeah. Sometimes it's better just to get out.
2: It is. If you can. Yes.
0: It's not always feasible if you've got kids in school or if you've got uh, certain things going on. Again, if it disrupts the routine, I wanted to tell you about a, a fellow that I came across. And I, and I want you to know that I, I've never met him before. I have no personal dealings with this person. But I, I recognize in this person a, a skill set that I think is unique in the business, and that is service. And I know that's something that you try to pride yourself on at The Little Contractor, because service goes a long way. One thing is to have the skill set, as I mentioned. The other thing is to be able to relate it to the people you're dealing with. Now, you could be a very, very good carpenter or a very good electrician, but if you don't have any people skills. Who wants to deal with you? Right. You know, I mean, especially if you're coming into this person's home and being disruptive. But a neighbor of mine had, uh, is, is, uh, is undergoing some, some renovations uh, at their place. And it's one of these, you know, let's gut the place kind of thing. So mm-hmm. they're spending an awful lot of money. And in the process of uh, the, the gutting of the place, uh, they rented a bin. You, know, big one of those great big bins, oh, yes, okay, to put all the disposals away, and that that something that we've talked about a lot because it's becoming harder and harder these days to know what can go and what can't, what has to be sorted, what doesn't have to be sorted, right, and I want to get into that a little bit later, and we will towards the end of the program. But anyway, Mark is with a company called Skinny bins, and the only reason I wanted to mention him was because here's a guy that uh, has a bin business, he drives the truck, he runs the business, he drops the bins, he picks them up, and what a gentleman. So what happened was the bin was improperly placed, if I can put it that way. It wasn't put where it should have gone. It kind of impeded on another neighbor. The other neighbor kind of got a little bit upset. The contractor that had ordered the bin didn't want anything to do with it. The neighbor got uh, a little bit perturbed. Mark came to the rescue and said, look, I'll move the bin. But yet the contractor didn't want to work with him at all. Oh, So he came by, he said, look, I'll move the bin. If it's a matter of moving it one inch, one foot, or one mile, whatever you need, I will do for you. This guy left whatever other job that he was working on to come over to rectify this situation, of which was not anything of his doing. He put the bin where he was told to by the contractor. And by the way, the contractor was wrong. The contractor was dead wrong, but he came along and did the right thing and then said and made sure that everybody in the neighborhood knew that he would come by at whatever time was prescribed. He, He mentioned it. I don't remember what it was now. He said, I will be there at whatever. Let's just say noon. I'll be there at noon on this day and I'll have the bin out of the way. And he kept to his word, almost to the minute. Good on him. Yeah. So here's a guy that, you know, he's a small contractor. He delivers bins. Uh, He picks them up when he says he is. And on top of everything else, a nice guy. So I wanted to give him a, a little bit of a prop because, as I say, I never met the guy. I don't do any business with him. I've never met him before. But his name is Mark, and his company is called Skinny Bins. So if you ever need a bin... Uh, you can give him a call and, and and let him know. Let him know we sent him, and then and then then we'll talk. <laughs> no, we won't, of course. But if I do ever need a bin, now I'm in a fortunate position because you've got disposal units yourself, and 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 I've been lucky enough to use yours. But but just briefly on this idea of discarding things, we we have this whole idea of just you know we're getting better at disposing of things, and we've talked a lot about. The clampdown at Worksafe on asbestos, for example. Yes. You can't just no longer can you just rip out drywall or or flooring, for example, or other materials and think that you can just chuck it into a bin. Right. Absolutely. It, it has to be processed. And before that drywall is taken out, this particular house that was uh, being renovated was built, uh, I think, seventy six or seventy seven, somewhere in that that vintage. There's probably a very good chance that there's some asbestos in the drywall.
2: That that certainly is right around the correct timing. Um, You always have to presume, the worst case scenario, you have to presume contamination and take appropriate safety precautions until proven otherwise. Now, if I were to, and I
0: didn't, by the way, but if I were to go over to this this house, the neighbor, and say, can you produce documents that this Mm -hmm. stuff is okay or not, would they be obliged?
2: Um, not to you, but they will um, if there's a permit in place there there's the city will require um, an asbestos abatement report or or at least a report to say that it does or does not contain that's from a licensed and certified laboratory who, who has done the testing. Uh, if it is contaminated, then they 're going to want abatement done of course that 's another report. Worksafe can come in uh, at any given time and have a look around for safety concerns.
0: The cranky neighbor saw plumes of dust coming out of the house and was wondering whether whether they would he and his family would be uh, in, in any kind of a problem. We'll get into this a little bit more later on. We have to take a break right now. I want to let you know that our What's Bugging You segment is coming up next. And I want to give you a heads up. Just after 11 o'clock this morning, strata life or strata strife. Tony Giaventu will be joining us, and we'll be talking about living in a strata, which so many people do. My name is Ian Power. I'm here with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, and this is the Home Discovery Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. This is our What's Bugging You segment on the Home Discovery Show. My name is Ian Power, here with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, and Joe Gabera joins us from Green Valley Pest Control. And uh, good morning, Mr. Gabera. How are you?
3: Good morning to you, too, and thanks for having me. I'm good, thank you. It's
0: always fun talking to you about these creepy-crawly things and all these different uh, animals that come around and, and want to bug us. Uh, that's why we call them pests, but... They would probably tell us if they could talk that it's us, we're the pests, and that we should stop encroaching upon their land, their property, their place where they hang out and build their homes. Is that pretty much how you see it? Well,
3: well that is true to a certain degree, but then I was just listening to your radio broadcast and they were talking about how uh, they just had a fire caused by a squirrel, or a, a power outage, rather, caused by yeah. a squirrel. Yeah, yeah. Well these squirrels that we have in our area are actually foreign. They're actually back from they're eastern grey and black squirrels from back east. I wonder if we can tax them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So they were brought in here and they're not indigenous. So they're actually wiped out well, they're completely wiped out, but they have wiped out a lot of our little red squirrels, so they're not. They're not exactly. We're not exactly encroaching on their environment. They're actually encroaching on. Them. Right. They've become a real pest. Okay. But we brought them in, so I guess we caused the problem.
0: It Be a lot easier if you just work with me a little bit, and I mean, <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't make my <laughs> job so difficult. So, do you think we should? Uh, would there be any anything for me to maybe start uh, breeding these uh, the, the local squirrels? Is there a <laughs> market for them? <laughs> I don't think so. not really. But
3: I, I think they're they're trying to come back somewhat. See, we're not supposed to. Uh, Release the uh, grays anymore. This is they're supposed to be destroyed when they are caught.
0: So. Well, what's the protocol, Joe? Uh, uh, if you've got a squirrel problem around your place, uh, what what is the protocol? What's well, what do you do?
3: Well, what we do if they're in the attic? No, well, they're usually up in the upper area. So if they're in the attic of the home, we come in and do an assessment. Then we close off all the areas except for one, and then on the one main opening, we put what's called a one-way door. Well, this door opens outwards only, so the squirrels can get out, but they can't get back in.
0: Right. Okay,
3: so we don't harm them generally, but if people trap them, they're not supposed to relocate them. That's against the BC
0: Wildlife Act. Ah, uh, are you to destroy them? Is it okay to destroy them? Yes. Yeah. Oh,
3: they're, so they're a rat with a furry tail is what they're considered.
0: Okay, so not it, the
3: little red ones, but you won't get the little red ones at homes.
0: So, these are the ones that are gray and black. Black, yeah. Right. And they're big, big squirrels. They're man. big guys. So, if they, I'm just, because I, I'm thinking about somebody who said to me the other day that they, they well, it was about a week ago or so, that they, they had seen some squirrels coming in and out of the carport area or the garage area, and that they thought it would be okay to catch them and put them out in the yard. And I'm thinking, well, what's. Those come right back. <laughs> was, I was thinking the same thing. Then somebody else told me it's okay to catch. A squirrel, if you remove them with three bodies of water in between,
3: yeah, well, that was the old thing, but now, because they are you know considered a foreign pest that we're supposed to destroy them, you 're not allowed to relocate them anymore.
0: if you suspect that you have a squirrel in your attic or that 's uh, inside your home in some way or some fashion, best to get in a professional because it could be a problem that, as you say, it could be a fire generally because. The squirrels will chew on wires. They'll chew on yes. just about anything. That's correct. Yeah, because
3: right. the word rodent, they are rodent as well, and the word rodent means not to gnaw, and they have to gnaw continually because their teeth continually grow. So that's why they gnaw on any and a, and a, a wire up in an attic looks just like a stick to them,
0: right? same kind of thing for uh, rats and mice uh, is there, I'm just trying to understand what the law is what the, what are the rules with rats and mice none
3: no none whatsoever they can be destroyed and- just
0: go at it yeah yeah because um, they're not easy to get rid of I at least that's been my experience and people that I know and, and I know this is something that that your business deals with all the time so is it just a matter of sealing up any of the entry points is, is oh, that that's-
3: rats you can seal up for absolutely but mice you know they can get a whole size of a dime so mm-hmm. to find all those little cracks and crevices in a home it's it's pretty hard especially older buildings you know yeah. you, can't, you can't always seal those up 100 percent. so we can get mice back in after we seal them up
0: what do you worry more about rats or mice and i know that rats are considerably bigger but is that necessarily yeah. a, a problem
3: Well, only because they do do more damage, right? Like I mentioned with the squirrels, they'll chew wiring. Well, so will the rats. Mice do, too, but it's rare. I mean, mice, you know, they'll chew little things like computer wires and stuff in homes. Yeah, so, I mean, they can't cause a lot of damage, too. But generally speaking, rats will chew, like, water pipes. Oh, really? Yeah, especially when there's no, you know, when it's dry out and there's no water and they get in the attic, they'll chew water pipes and crawl spaces and everywhere else, right? And they'll cause a lot of damage. And, flat homes all the time.
0: and that's a key thing, isn't it, for these rodents? That I mean, they, they need to have water, don't they?
3: Well, yeah, mice usually don't drink every day. They get their uh, water from their food source, but rats have to drink every day, about two ounces of water
0: a day. I've got a few friends like that. Yeah, exactly. That have to drink every day. Um, <laughs> so as far as rats and mice goes, uh, again, something that you should be concerned about uh, trying to keep them out obviously is the best thing. Let's say that they're in. You don't know where they're coming from. You, you know, what do you do then?
3: Well, for rats, we trap only because if they die in a wall somewhere, they'll stink for months. Right. So okay. mice, mice you can poison because mice don't have enough body mass to make an odor. They don't even weigh it out.
0: And they shrivel up, and you never they even ride. notice they, it, right?
3: They dehydrate to nothing, yet. yeah. So, you know, you don't want to poison a rat. It's not some rats, you get up to a pound. So imagine a pound of rotting hamburger in you your wall. Think,
0: no, thank you. I, I don't want to go there. Not, not a, Because you know what? It's coming up to brunch time here. Now, what, exactly. a, what about some okay. of the other wildlife? Uh, we talked yesterday on CKNW about uh, bears, because bears, particularly, uh, we heard the story in Coquitlam last week uh, where uh, the municipality there is starting to clamp down on people that put their garbage out too soon. We uh, should. Is this something, and I know where you live, you probably have bears in your neighborhood. Yes, right
3: is, behind us.
0: Is there something that we're doing wrong, or, or because it seems to me, I know that every year at this time the bears are—they they want to fatten up. They're getting ready for their their winter hibernation. I know it's early and hard for us to think that, but that's what bears do. Is there something that we're doing? Are we seeing more bears in our area?
3: I, I don't know if that's any more than usual. I mean, we—I live right by Kanaka by Creek, and it's uh, <laughs> there's bears here all the time. But if you don't put your garbage out at night, obviously that's going to help. You want. Even fruit trees, like people, any any kind of food source they're looking for. So that's what you have to eliminate. So obviously, put your garbage out first thing in the morning. I keep mine in my garage, and that's not just for bears; it's for raccoons. They knock it over too. Oh yeah, so, yeah. But if you have fruit trees in your yard, you're going to attract them. So clean up as much fruit as you possibly can.
0: Will they Don't go? It... They'll go on the tree for the fruit, or is this oh, yeah, fallen yeah. fruit?
3: Well, they prefer fallen fruit, but yeah, I mean, if if it's on the ground, it's just easy pickings for them. Same thing with bird feeders. Bears are omnivorous; like, us, uh, they'll eat anything. So you need to get rid of any food source. So bird feeders are a bad idea, right? Uh, don't leave your don't leave your animal food out at night.
0: Well, the bird uh, the birders though will will say, Joe, uh, I love the birds, and the birds come to my backyard, and they they eat, and they're happy, and they sing, and they make <laughs> me feel good, and they help pollinate the garden. What are you talking yeah. about? No bird feeder.
3: Well, birds birds will manage themselves; they
0: don't need to be fed. Uh, you know what? I agree with you. By the way.
3: They've been doing it for thousands of
0: years without us. Yeah, without us and, and, and going quite well. Will you stay with us? I will. Uh, it's Joe Gabera. What's bugging you? 604-280-9898. You got a pest control? Got creepy crawlers at your place? 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your mobile. Joe Gabera from Green Valley Pest Control. When we come back on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. In power with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor on the Home Discovery Show. Our segment is called "What's Bugging You." Our expert is Joe Gabarra from Green Valley Pest Control, and uh, we uh, offered an open line to Joe and uh, Tony. Uh, what's uh, What's your deal with the rats?
3: Yeah, I got this problem with rats every winter. Uh, you know, they go up in the hood underneath them the engine, and then they chew on the wires. And I see all kind of sort of. Uh, droppings in the inside. So, what can I do to get rid of those uh, rats and underneath the hood of my car? Sure. What we do is we usually use outside rat poison, um, but we put it in lock and tip- tamper resistant bait stations so it's secured from children and pets. And we usually place them around the house and near that area. Um, what I've read actually recently is that some of the car wiring that they're using, the outer casing on it, yeah, it has, a flu- has a food grade source to it. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, I mean rats will always nest in warm engines. Sure, but we've we've heard that from a couple of dealerships. that They're actually chewing that outer casing because it had it had something the rats could eat. Oh man, so I, th- I think the car manufacturer is going to take that out.
0: So in, in Tony's case, is this something, uh, Joe, that Tony can do himself in terms of poisoning, or does he need um, to to bring in somebody I- like Green Valley?
3: Well, I think what's happening is is it depends on the municipality. A lot of municipalities now won't sell poison or chemicals of any type to homeowners.
0: Okay. Well, where do you live, Tony? What what area? Uh, I live in Surrey and Surrey and and uh, joe uh, you you service the Surrey area, yep. of course, yeah, we sure do. Give them a call uh, tony or or if you choose somebody else that 's fine, uh, but to Joe Gaarra with Green Valley pest control and i 'm sure that they can uh, help you, uh, you know when it comes to handling these kinds of things i like frankly joe i 'm not comfortable with a with a uh, can of raid i 'm not going to judge you necessarily if somebody wants to use it but yeah, absolutely. This stuff, this stuff is poison, and you really yeah. need to know. This is why you have a license to deal with these things, correct? Yes.
3: And what we what we find all the time is when people buy these products, they actually they actually have to talk with someone at the store. So there'll be a there'll be a pest pesticide uh, dispensing uh, person at the store. Mm-hmm. They're licensed, and they have to teach you on the proper method of using these products. So you'll go through a little sit down with them, and they'll tell you. But I don't know if that's happening properly.
0: No, uh, it, it probably can isn't. Of yeah, a
3: cannery is not going to kill you, but it can make you sick if you spray that room and stay in there, and some people do because they're not really reading the direction.
0: Well, that's right, and even sometimes uh, the simplest of, of issues, can re- if there's spraying involved, can yeah. mean that you've got to get out for four hours or eight hours or whatever the duration is, and, and particularly if you've got pets or young or young, very young kids or older people, uh, your grandparents might be there.
3: Yes, of course. And and the same thing goes with rat poison. Like you buy rat poison from the store but you don't apply it properly and you just put it out in the open, well you're gonna kill, you know, other animals. You're gonna kill dogs especially. All rat poison and mouse poison is tainted with a product called Bittrex. Mm. The most bitter tasting substance in the world. So most animals won't eat it. So when you put it in baiters and stuff, you won't get a squirrel eating their other small animals. But a dog, dogs don't taste anything before they eat it, they just gobble it up. So there's been lots of dog poisoning. <laughs> People have to put their stuff in locking that's in bait stations, which they don't sell at these stores that they sell the bait at. Right. So that's a problem. Do it properly, or you end up killing your own pets.
0: Next on my list is wasps and hornets. Are, are they one and those, the same?
3: Pretty much, they're both called a vespid. Uh, a wasp is, you know, the more the on the yellow side, right? Okay. And the hornets, the the hornets, they call them bald faced hornets. They're usually black mm-hmm. and white, and they, the hornets are usually bigger, but they both sting just about the same.
0: It hurts. Yeah. Yeah. It both hurt. What do you do about those nests? Because they, they grow pretty big, don't they?
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we can treat those organically, too. We don't even have to use chemicals. We, we spray them with a, or dust them with a um, organic dust, and it gets in the nest, covers them all, and they eventually just dry up and fall to the ground.
0: I've never done this to you, and I hope you'll forgive me because I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. If I call you out to my place to, to get rid of a hornet's nest, for example, or a wasp nest, what am I looking at? Uh, is that... Uh, uh, price-wise? Yeah, price-wise.
3: Yeah, anywhere from one hundred dollars 25 to $225, depending on where the nests are. Right. I mean, if it's a, if it's an easy ground nest, even $95.
0: Right, but okay. But if it's something
3: where we need, you know, 32-foot ladder and extension poles, like, we can go up 50 feet. Right. But then we need two guys, one guy to, you know, steady the ladder. Sure. And, you know, these are big, long ladders, and then we got big, long extension poles, and we get up to the nests.
0: Okay, fair enough. Uh, next on the list, uh, i got two other things that I want to uh, ask you about, because these are three, actually, because these are... We we always have a what's bugging segment, uh, and people always ask. Usually, it's afterwards. So, um, uh, silverfish.
3: Oh yeah, they're they're pretty
0: harmless. Is, is that come. is that seasonal or is that year round?
3: It's year round. Okay. They come, they come from outside. They you know they especially if you have like a lot of uh, bark mulch and wood around your home, they eat the saps that come off of wood. They're not not really harmful unless they get in the house. Because then in, in, in a home, I mean, they're gonna your food. You don't want that. Mm-hmm. Um and they can, you know, get into old book bindings and eat the old natural glues that were not you know, they're not synthetic, they're actual natural glues. Um I mean there was times when we would go to homes years and years ago where the old wallpaper was made of natural glues too and the uh, silverfish get in behind it and they eat all the glue and the wallpaper is lifting off the wall. <laughs> oh,
0: they can eat
3: they can eat cotton, but it's more rare. We we just hear people getting um silverfish in the bathrooms and stuff. But if you have if you have a wood burning stove and you bring firewood in? You'll bring them in.
0: And they're gross.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. And, and they're
0: fast too. Nobody wants insects in their homes, but yeah, speedy, they're easy speedy, very speedy. I, I want to get Sandy on here because I think she's got a question. Uh, Sandy, go ahead.
3: Hi. Um, hi. Hi. <laughs> we have these little—they're like little ants with wings. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they're coming in from our front window, and we are using ant out, and it's killing them, but they're still coming to visit. Yeah. You have to find the source. So there's probably a nest there somewhere. They're harmless. They're called a cornfield or a moisture ant. This is the time of year. There's the ones without wings that are workers and then the ones with wings are called their reproductives. And you'll get even the bigger ones with wings, which are the females, and then the smaller ones with wings that are the males. They'll swarm.
2: And they're mating.
3: This is mating season. So that's why you'll see a whole bunch of them all at once. Oh, great. So they're in our house having a party, meeting and doing that. <laughs> and
0: you didn't you. invite us, Sandy. Come on. Hey, if hey. I
3: knew there was a party happening, I yeah. would have invited yeah. you. Yeah,
0: thank you so, so much.
3: You're only as good as your tools, right? Okay, so um, just one quick. W- now, th- h- what do I look for? like to, to? Um... Well, you have to find the nest. And you yeah, have to what does it look like? Kill it. Oh, you won't see it. It'll be like in a crack under the ground or in a wall. Oh, or... okay. So. And, see, we have specialized tools for that where we inject this stuff, and you sometimes just can't do it yourself.
0: We've got to take a break. Uh, uh, don't go away, uh, Joe. We're yeah. going to bring you back for one more segment. We were going we to end here, but we've got uh, Betty and Susan that uh, have some great questions. So sure. stay with us. We're going to continue with What's Bugging You on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Keep in mind that in just a couple of minutes after 11 o'clock, our segment is Strata Life or Strata Strife with Tony Giaventu from the Condominium Homeowners Association. Right now, what's bugging you with Joe Gabera from Green Valley Pest Control. We're going to have to go quickly here, Betty. Uh, Go right ahead to Joe.
3: Hi, I have a question for you. Um, Is there any way to get rid of raccoons um, that are constantly in your yard? Heavy armor. What's that no Joe, I think I think you said heavy armor. I
0: yeah. said heavy armor, yes,
3: <laughs> yeah, so what we do is um we use deterrence, things that uh if they're crawling underneath a shed or something, you've got to seal it off if they're they're usually in there for a reason, so if you've got bird feeders again, you've got any kind of food source for them, that's why they're there. If they're in your yard, you should check around because they could be living underneath a shed or something like that, or they could be up in your attic. But if they're just grazing through, then there's not much you can do about it. We've got to learn to live with wildlife. You can use, um, there's a lot of sprays out there that have pepper in them, and calcium, calcium pepper, pepper, rather, and they, they deter them. I've actually used it for cats on some of my uh, gravel driveway area. Joe, cats were digging.
0: <laughs> is it fair to say, Joe, that when it comes to raccoons, that uh, if you can eliminate the food source, you pretty much will eliminate them as a nuisance?
3: Yes, that usually helps. No okay. always. I mean, if they've found a harborage, like like I said, underneath a shed or something or in your attic, then they're not going to leave. But, right. Uh, there's no reason for them to be there. They usually don't come around.
0: Right. What about po- uh, pools and, and bird baths and that kind of thing?
3: Uh, yeah, that, does, that doesn't help. <laughs> I mean, especially when it's dry or it's free, freezing out and there's no water. Yeah.
0: We've only got 10 seconds. I can't even take uh, the call from Susan, but she wants to know about grain beetles in her house.
3: Oh, have her call me. That's something we don't even spray for. You don't need to use chemicals in the kitchen. You need to eliminate the food source, and it's quite difficult sometimes. So she can phone me, and I can go over all the details, but it It won't cost her a penny.
0: Okay, excellent. That's Joe Gabbera from Green Valley Pest Control. Thank you for your time once again. Always appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Green Valley Pest Control with Joe Gabera. What's bugging you? For Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, my name is Ian Power. Thanks to Jamie Benteen, our technical producer. Stay with us. Vancouver Consumer is next. Strata Life or Strata Strife with Tony Giaventu. That's next on News Talk 980 CKNW.